The Red River runs south to north from the border of Minnesota and North Dakota up into Canada, eventually spilling into the Hudson Bay. When it gets north into Canada, into Winnipeg, Manitoba in particular, the topography changes and the potential for flooding becomes much higher. Back in the 1950s, there was a disastrous flood in Winnipeg, taking out four bridges and evacuating 100,000 people. One person was killed. Damages at the time were close to a billion dollars. The leader of Manitoba, Premier Duff Roblin, championed a new capital project to build a floodway to carry water around the city of Winnipeg. But the cost, $72 million. And people were divided on this. They felt the flood of 1950 was a freak occurrence, once in a lifetime, maybe several lifetimes. Waste of money. They called it Duff's Ditch. They said it was like building the pyramids of Egypt in terms of usefulness. The debate went on for years, with Roblin often feeling like he was alone in his argument. But he was convinced he was right. Finally, the project was approved and the floodway was built finishing in 1968, on time and under budget. And the Red River did flood again, and again, and again but the floodway prevented severe damages each time. In 2023, Canadian studies suggest the floodway has prevented $40 billion in damages, and it's now designated a National Historic Site of Canada. People today still call it Duff's Ditch, not with derision, but with affection. Sometimes you need to have the conviction and the courage to be the only person in the room who's right. Today on Stories and Strategies, we're now on the precipice of a new era in communications, one that will leverage artificial intelligence like never before. And those who made that shift years ago, while the rest of us were sleepwalking, are the ones in the front of the line now. My name is Doug Downs. My guest this week is Aaron Quitkin, joining today from New York. Hey, Aaron. Hey, Doug. Great to see you. Well, and you're you're joining today from New York. So springtime in the Big Apple has got to be a ton of things to do. Number one of which is get the heck out of the city and go somewhere else, right? Well, go somewhere else or um, actually just take a lot of allergy meds. So I think we have another two weeks left for these trees to be dumping all this pollen. So Oh, geez. Yeah. But, yeah. It, you know, at least the sunshine's around. Aaron, you're the founder and CEO of Profit, the first generative and predictive AI SaaS or software as a service platform designed for the PR community. Profit is the flagship of Stagwell Marketing Clouds Comms Tech Unit, where you're also the CEO. You've got 30 years in the industry, founded PR agency KWT Global, where you're still chair of the board. You have your own podcast, Brand on Purpose, and you're the immediate past president of the Public Relations Society of America, or PRSA, New York chapter, which, by the way, is one of the most responsive chapters to the to, to our little podcast. Uh, so uh, That's great to hear. We love PRSA New York. That's great to hear. Yeah, they, they've been awesome. Aaron, when it comes to science and PR slash marketing, 
there is lots of science and up to date, most of it has been, you know, psychology and behavioral science side of things. That's not going away. That That's definitely going to stay. With generative AI, though, bursting onto the scene, or or as one client put it to me a week or so ago, that chat GPT thing I've been hearing about, <laughs> <laughs> we're introducing newer science or sciences for using these technologies just at a high level. Walk me through, you know, the, the world that we're kind of on the precipice of here. You know, I think you nailed it. You know, to date, uh, not only is it kind of more behavioral science based, um, but we also, even though we don't always admit it, you know, you and I have been using our gut and our instinct um, to provide direction around campaigns and advice based also on experience and expertise. And that's fine. Um, you know, I always found it quite frustrating in, in part because all of our clients, most of them think they're way more interesting than they are. And our marketing siblings have very specific data sets, audience segmentation to be able to prove out a concept for a campaign. Whereas um, we really didn't have much, maybe our charm. Uh, and in some cases, of course, with me, my good looks, just kidding. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I think that um, we've entered this era that I call the communications engineer, which is a mindset, not necessarily a skill set, where we finally can actually use data to backstop our instincts. Um, and to also um, have, I think, deeper, more meaningful engagements on the client side, especially when it comes to crisis, right? How often has it been where you're uh, negotiating a statement or messaging with a general counsel or outside counsel from a client and you say to them, is that PR advice or is that comms or is that legal? And he's like, well, it's, they're like, it's not legal. I'm like, okay, well, you know, leave it to me. I'm the expert. It's easier to have some data. So, um, I really view um, what I think AI in particular is probably the most consequential technology development, not just for humanity, but for our industry. I view it in two sections, if you will. There's the predictive, using AI to predict trends, media interest, um, surface what types of influencers, podcasters, reporters might be interested in your pitch. And then there's a the generative, which is the whole, like you said, the chat GPT thing. For the record, I think chat GPT is amazing. I think it's a toy. I don't think it's a tool. What I think the opportunity is for all of us is there are going to be tools like Profit, for example, and there's so many others that are professional tools that are layered on top of the underlying technology behind ChatGPT, which is open AI. And of course, right now it's this arms race between Microsoft and Google, whose large language model is going to be better. Um, I think for communications professionals, especially the mid to junior ones, um, I think that uh, they are going to be embracing more and more tools to be able to get things done faster and better. In my mind, it's performative, productive, and predictive. And all those mundane tasks, searching for the right reporter, doing research, putting together briefing books, bios, whatever, all that can be sped up. Things that used to take two hours can now take 20, 22 seconds. And then a few minutes on top to come in over the top because We've always hired people over the years. We hope that they can get us 50, 60% of the way there. Now, I think these technologies can do that. And it's only getting better because the more people that participate in the chat GPTs of the world, the more learnings. Um, and that's, what, that's, what, that's what's happening is there's more training going on. And it's actually for the benefit of everyone. You know, it's amazing. We did an episode with Stephen Waddington in the UK mm. from the, the Chartered Institute of Public Relations. And it shared that there's already 
thousands of tools that fit within what I'm terming generative AI, but I really like what you just said about predictive analysis. Um, tell me how AI is going to help us on the predictive side of things, because I, I think that's really the, the nub of it. And GPT being a toy, I love that terminology. Reminds me a bit of, you know, we have Bitcoin and then we have blockchain technology and, and people know Bitcoin, but they don't understand that blockchain is, is really the piece. And, but that's not what this episode's about. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me more about predictive ana analytics and, and how, uh, how AI is going to help us in the future with that. It was the original premise behind Profit four years ago. And uh, many people still today probably thought that I was absolutely insane to leave my day job to move into AI and comps. And then I was talking about GPT-2 and nobody really cared. Um, they, were, they would roll their eyes at me. And one of the frustrations um, that I had was uh, people are just kind of downloading names of media from these databases that are largely analog and they're wrong. And then unlike you and I, we were trained to read and to research reporters and create relationships and what have you. People don't do that anymore. And people don't even speak to reporters anymore, PR people. They just email them. They spam the shit out of them. So I was looking at different industries, particularly book publishing and film and also media, certain newsrooms like The Guardian. And I was noticing that, um, especially in media entertainment, they were running uh, uh, scripts uh, through um, machine learning and natural language processing and comparing those scripts against past books and movies to then determine whether or not these scripts have future commercial viability based on similar or adjacent genres. I'm like, that's genius. Um, yeah. So why can't we look at past media coverage to predict future media interest and sentiment? It's all publicly available. And as you know, and I think journalists would agree, most journalists have a very specific style and persona and way of writing. I know I do, you do. They don't really change that often. So um, it's a perfect case study for predicting media interest. And, and I think that, you know, look, there, there are two things that we've been trying to solve for forever. How do I know who's going to be interested in my pitch, whether it's an influencer, a podcaster, or a reporter? And how do I make my pitch more interesting? So how do I know who's going to be interested? That's the predictive stuff. How do I make it more interesting? That's the generative. And when you put those two things together, I think that it, it makes us way more performative as communicators, way more performative. You you mentioned you you started profit you know several years ago. It's probably four or five, maybe a little bit little little bit longer than that. Well, the idea was in my head probably for about ten years. You're right. Yeah, wow. it, yeah, and, and and the idea was really rooted first in crisis comms because that's really I don't have any superpowers, but that's what I, I grew up in is crisis and reputation management. And I always wanted a way to test the crisis statement before I ever had to use it right. to determine would it would it would it accidentally accelerate coverage? Um, would it would it deescalate it? Would it mitigate it? Oftentimes, most of them they, they sit on a digital shelf somewhere, right? That's the hope because it doesn't see the light of day. And um, that was like the original thought. And then when Mark Penn joined then MDC Partners, the company that bought my agency back in 2010. Um, he came from a, a private equity firm that basically that he built using um, some funding from Steve Ballmer, about a quarter billion dollars from Steve Ballmer, the former CEO of Microsoft. And that's where Mark worked as chief strategy officer. And he formed this thing called Stagwell, which is a very technology, digital driven private equity holding company at the time that then bought agencies that were like minded. 
he came in, they invested in MDC. He basically merged MDC with Stagwell. Now it's Stagwell today. One of the first things he did was he said to all the agency leaders, he said, come up with an idea that sits at the intersection of marketing and technology. We're going to do our own little Shark Tank competition. Um, and uh, whoever wins, 500-word essay and then eight-minute pitch. And whoever wins, um, I will I will award you up to a million dollars of operating budget to create the MVP, the minimal viable product. I mean, this is back in May of 2019, almost to the date that we're speaking right now, Doug. Okay. And I ended up winning. It was called Project Taylor. And for Billions fans out there, it's named after a character in Billions who's this genius, clairvoyant, see-around corners type person named Taylor, who um, I'm like, wow, how do I hire a tailor for my agency and that tailor does not exist in real life so maybe i can try to build a tailor so it's called project tailor became profit and then we actually use the name tailor later on earlier this year to then name our feature our generative ai feature so we, we brought tailor back like kind of like tailor your pitch it's like a double entendre if you will um so we built the mvp in 2020 um soft launched end of 2020 and then really started selling the product which is predictive at the time um, in 2021. Um, and it was hard. Um, it was hard up until maybe even, I would say, December, January of this year. Um, well, you must have faced criticism over it. You, you must have had, not only did you have to generate this idea kind of on your own, there, there would have had voices of support, but there must have been banks not willing to lend you money for this. There must have been all kinds of criticism surrounding you on this. So, um, too many eggs in one basket, so to speak, you know, not that it wasn't a neat idea, yeah. but criticism that the human mind is not actually predictive. Therefore we can't build software that predicts the human mind. That must've been the lines of the criticism. Well, I'll, t I'll tell you what the tail, what the headwinds were at the time that, uh, the biggest headwind was, um, a lot of the at, the, at the time, the traditional media database companies have been, um, forced, have forced our industry into a very complacent, very um, spray and pray mentality, like I had said earlier. That was one kind of headwind. The second headwind was that we weren't there to replace a data, media database company. We we're there to make it smarter, to make that, to turn um, a media list into actual media targets. I don't believe in media databases. I believe in media targets. Um, the other headwind um, wasn't money because we were funded internally, so that was great. Um, it was being able to build the logic and cr and find a data set um, that had enough integrity to be able to stand up to the results that we were showing. Um, on top of another headwind, which was this continuum of doubt, right? And we're seeing we saw that a little bit with AI. It is you know um, you first start with like doubt and then fear um, and then kind of curiosity and then courage and then adoption. Like that's that continuum of technology, especially um, in our industry. In our industry, we are skeptical people. We're trained to find fault, just like the journalists that we pitch. So our first inclination is always de-risking, de-risk, de-risk, de-risk. I am an optimist and I like to try to th think about what's next. You know, years ago, we thought about design thinking for communications, the difference between manifest needs and latent needs. Then we leaned into ESG and brand purpose. And now I think it's comms tech. And um, you know, PR people are so good at telling stories for our clients, those digital and transformation stories, yet we are like navel gazers. We don't innovate ourselves. Our greatest innovations are these processes or research. That's it. 
there's no real tech behind it. And um, it's funny because we're in a very non-linear business. Inherently, communications is non-linear, yet the tools that we use are very linear mm -hmm. and not agile. So I'm just trying to create a different mindset. Again, this is communications and engineer concept where we need an agility to learn um, how we can change our workflow and not in a way of automation because we're a business of articulation, not automation, but in a way that makes us do things better, faster, um, and, and, and better and faster and informed by data. Yeah, more along the so-called customer journey. Customer yeah. not being the right word here, but yeah. Um, right. So let's sew all this together. This concept of a, of a communications engineer or a prompt engineer, someone who knows how to use the interface of a tool or specific tools like Profit uh, the, to the best of the tool's capability to enhance their business goals. Let's imagine um, that we're trying to create, let's say, a news release to promote this episode, just, just something tangible. Walk me through figuratively how, how a prompt engineer would use Profit to set the tone, to find the right journalists, to create the message, and actually create something tangible that does promote the episode the right way. How would that happen with Profit? So I'm glad you asked that question specifically because I've noticed since um, ChatGPT, all these, some agencies and some of our um, quasi-competitors, because they're more media, media database companies, they're like, oh, we built a press release generator. And I'm like, that is so insulting. <laughs> like press releases is like two, 3% of what we do. Right. So we focused more on how do you take any piece of content and make it better, make it into a better pitch in seconds. In this situation, though, and I actually just did this with my team because we're about to announce another partnership with a really cool company that battles, that uses AI to battle mis and disinformation. Um, in this instance, you need human ingenuity as always and forever, right? AI is not going to replace that. If you, if the prompt, which is you, um, if you prompt, you know, the core, the key takeaways of the, the uh, you know, first, it's like the whole first best only, right? What are the key points you want to make? I would put in a headline and a subhead. I would put in a sentence or two. In our, in our platform, you just need a minimum of 30 words. I like putting in 50 or 60 words. And that is the fallacy behind a lot of this, you know, chat GPT stuff. The truth is, is that the more specific you are and the more words you put in, the better the outcome because it still needs yeah. you and you still have to have those core ideas. I call them islands of safety with my clients, right? What are those three key messages? Never leave the island. What are those three key points? You need to make sure you put them in there. And then I'll throw in like, you know, quote from Doug, quote from Aaron. Um, and and then I would hit generate and I would pick a tone. I want it to be persuasive, exuberant, emotive. That might be a little weird. Contrite, no, because this is not a crisis. Um, professional, possibly. I've got all these different kind of um, tones that you can pick from. And then we'll see what happens. Currently, we don't generate press releases, but we could. We'll put a template in there for that. Because I believe that the majority of what we're doing is we're trying to create pitches, not press releases. And you can easily turn a pitch into a press release. It's harder to turn a press release into a really, really good pitch. So, you know, oftentimes people load in like a 1, thousand, fifteen hundred word press release, often very technical. We'll be able to truncate that to a 250 word pitch using a very specific tone and then develop, which I think is the most, which is really cool, is we'll, we'll create four social posts very, very quickly, all in right. like 22 seconds. And find the journalists in a micromedia world that are most likely yeah. uh, to respond to this. In fact, you can research individual journalists within your tool and get an idea of what they've covered in the past, 
uh, the tone and sentiment of the coverage, the words that they've used, all of that's possible using profit. It, all of it's possible. And I think um, what people, what comms people need to ask of their, you know, software providers is, are you just using Boolean search, keyword search, or are you using semantic search? The future is in semantic search. The difference is semantic search is kind of like a spider. The, the core is the word, but then we're, we're able to determine, is that word being used in the right industry? I'll give you just a quick example. For years, I worked with a company called Stryker, S-T-R-Y-K-E-R, huge medical device company, great company. There's also There also happens to be a Stryker assault vehicle on the market, totally different right. business. Semantic search can tell the difference between the two. Boolean search, which is what most comms tech companies use, cannot tell the difference. And this this actually is one of the biggest um, complaints for media monitoring services because, you know, you have to always, you have to, I mean, humans should over always check the work of another human and definitely a software program. But oftentimes these monitoring services will get it wrong. They can't tell the difference between striker med tech or striker assault vehicle. Last question and, and fairly quickly within a couple of minutes. Sure. The future for those getting into the industry, whether it's PR or marketing, which sadly I'd lump under a, a big umbrella. Mm-hmm. We've always focused on a lot of the psychology um, going through school, getting into the industry, trusting our gut, as you said, off the top. Would it be valuable to have some computer science under our belts going into this? Is that what we mean by what a prompt engineer is likely to evolve to be? My, and I still might do this. One of my biggest regrets is I never learned how to code. I think that in the same way that you have core curriculums around, you know, English and math when you go to university, um, there, everybody should, should have at least a base coding class, just like you have to take econ or accounting. Coding has to be part of who we are. And what's really interesting in our business is that we're not computing numbers or computing words, but you have to u- compute numbers to get to those words. Um, and, and I think that everybody needs to know that. They also just need to be very comfortable with terminology and also have more patience in, on the strategy side of uh, comms, not just so quick to be transactional and pitch, 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 but think, you know, very deeply, use more calculus, if you will, um, not real calculus, but thought calculus, uh, which is what I think that I think, which is what most people will um, appreciate when they're going through the new process of joining, whether it's an agency or in-house marketing or PR team. As it always has been, but thank you for saying that. We always need to plan and have goals in mind before we just start stepping into into communications. You're yeah. right. Aaron, I really appreciate your time today. Thank you for this. Well, thank you, Doug. I really appreciate this opportunity. And again, I believe this is probably the most consequential um, and maybe the mo- most momentous development in our industry. And to quote someone who I have no idea who said this, you know, if you don't use AI, it's not going to take your job, but it'll help you keep your job. And I think we all need to embrace that. Excellent. This is right up there with TV and hack the World Wide Web, uh, which also changed the game for all of us. Sure. Aaron, thank you. Thanks, Doug. If you'd like to send a message to my guest, Aaron Quitkin, you can email him. The address is in the show notes. And ask for a demo of Profit, by the way. Um, once you see it rolling in action, it's uh, it's pretty mind-boggling. I, I, really appreciated the demo and a chance to, to, to see it in action. Stories and Strategies is a co-production of JGR Communications and Stories and Strategies podcasts. If you like this episode, you do us a favor. Leave a five-star rating. That signals to others that this is a podcast worth listening to. Thanks for listening.